and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Lauren. So um, we are in the presence of someone that I have known personally for a very long time. Is that who that is? Yes. <laughs> he snuck into your house. <laughs> He's sitting to my left. Don't look at him directly in the eyes. <laughs> like turn to stone. <laughs> Um, so we have very special guests today that we have been uh, in the talks with, in the talks to do a uh, topic. Our people and his people. It was just it's a lot of just... negotiation. It was ridiculous. So um, today we have my old friend. We've known each other since when? Eighth grade? Probably. Yeah. Since the beginning. Since the beginning. Yes. Right. I was well, born uh, in eighth 14 grade. years old. <laughs> <laughs> people don't know that. <laughs> Um, Andres Viscara of uh, Viscara Vineyards and uh, Becker Farms in Gasport, New York. Welcome. That is correct. Thank Welcome. you. I'm excited to be here. Great. We're so excited that you are here. Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot. Good. Yeah. I mean, we we hope that our guests would prepare heavily and as as to the degree that we prepare our topics, <laughs> <laughs> which is with, you know, rigorous um, academic fervor. So there are some times like that. The episode that just aired, I spent like eight and a half hours doing research on that one. <laughs> That's good. Good. I, no, I, and you know what? Uh, I commend you for it and our <laughs> listeners commend you for it as well. So Andres, what, uh, how many, first of all, how many hours did you spend on this? Did you spend as many on Julia? It's not I don't want to make not it a competition. A competition oh, you know, but, okay. um, yes, I did way oh. more. <laughs> okay. I so, don't I didn't clock it. <laughs> Does Googling things while you're watching TV count? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hours. So many hours. <laughs> so, uh, what is your topic for today that you're going to teach us? Intoxicants. I get no We're doing intoxicants, um, which is a very wide breadth of conversation or, or topic. I don't know why I was like, you know what? Let's do something that has a little bit of everything. <laughs> but um, I thought it'd be fun because uh, uh, my um, training is originally in, in winemaking, and then I've expanded into uh, har making hard cider and beer. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know... I like these things that get you a little loosey goosey. Sure, so I like intoxicants. So we're yeah. we're going through the whole spectrum of things from uh, uh, booze to uh, pot to psychedelics to great co cocaine. A <laughs> <laughs> la cocaine. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What language um, is that? Lots <laughs> of different things. Um, but in any case, uh, I wanted to start out with a quote by Edgar Allan Poe because mm. this is very serious. Okay. I have absolutely no pleasure in the stimulants in which I sometimes so madly indulge. It has not been in the pursuit of pleasure that I have periled my life and reputation and reason. It has been the desperate attempt to escape from torturing memories, from a sense of unsupportable loneliness and a dread of some strange impending doom. You wonder why like wineries don't have that in their I tasting know. room, just like <laughs> plastered above the, above the, above the counter. You exactly. Don't? It's so, it really makes you want to drink. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Which is funny because the whole theme of this is actually not going to be like a downer on intoxicants. This is actually more positive, you know. <laughs> not to say it's a promotion of them, but you know. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you can make it neutral. I mean, more neutral than Mr. E.A. Poe over there. Right, yeah. yeah. He had some problems. He yeah. probably could have used different he fell, drugs. <laughs> he fell in love with a pigeon. Did you know that? Yeah, well, pigeons are kind of hot. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. You see them just like wiggling their their butt back and forth. Right. Mm. Oh, wow. (laughs) Oh, the curve. (laughs) All right. Anyway. Anyway. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Julia's already dabbing at her eyeballs. We're off to a great start. We're doing great. Um, Intoxicants. Uh, There are four main categories of intoxicants. Um, we have stimulants, and these are substances causing an increase in mental and or physical stimulation, not usually impairing the user's performance of tasks like okay. tea, coffee, cocoa, Coca-Cola. I don't that's a, a beverage. That's, that's a not t- really, but yeah, whatever. That's a trademark. Uh, I get tobacco. It. It's funny because then they end it with uh, cocaine and amphetamines, which I'm like, mm, <laughs> does, does that not your- inhibit your performance? <laughs> but, you know, whatever. If the performance is talking real fast yeah. and being a total dick, then <laughs> you're killing it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the next is hypnotics. Uh, these are substances causing states of sleep, stupor, or calm, such as the mandrake, kava, tranquilizers, uh, and narcotics, including opium and its derivatives. I so, can't wait to hear more about tranquilizers. Me too. Because oh I just gosh. I just assume everybody that gets tranquilized is via dart. Uh, <laughs> You I'm know glad- what? You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you're excited because I didn't actually do anything on tranquilizers. <laughs> so I guess Someday, you're going to have- later in life. Yeah. I'm going to learn we'll, more about we'll tranquilizers. We'll Google it later. Um, then we have inebriants, uh, which are Hell substances yeah. like alcohol, chloroform, ether, <laughs> benzene, and other solvents and volatile chemicals. Um, you know, who doesn't like to drink alcohol or uh, chloroform? Ether. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then lastly, we have hallucinogens, substances causing visual, auditory, or other hallucinations. And I actually have a fairly long thing on that because um, they are Your vastly favorite? important to uh, our culture and the way it has been shaped over the past, like, you know, forever, pretty much. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm Crazy. excited. Crazy. Okay. Starting from the beginning, here we are. Intoxicants have been around forever. All plants, our bodies are literally chemical factories, right? We have, yeah. we're, we're, we're taking in chemicals, you're pooping out chemicals. It sounds gross, but it, it is what it is. Yes, that's um, true. And uh, we've been doing these, these kind of experiments with our, our chemical balance or imbalance uh, since the dawn of, of Time. Um, Our early ancestors lived as hunter-gatherers and as shown by the culture of human groups who retained this lifestyle, like Aborigines, Amazonians, uh, you know, uh, ancient tribes. Mm -hmm. The the OGs, as I like to call them. (laughs) Um, Because you're an anthropologist. Right, yes. (laughs) Uh, But they collected a considerable amount of information on a farm... Pharmacological plants. Um, there is the Otzi. Uh, this is a man whose frozen body was recovered in the Alps in 1991. He lived about 3,300 years BC or BCE, if you want to be 
like that, um, and carried in his pouch a travel pharmacy including a polypore fungus with antibacterial and uh, uh, hemostatic properties. After adopting a pastoral lifestyle, uh, humans may have observed the effects of psychoactive plants in their flocks. Mm. Uh, Tradition has it that Ethiopian priests started roasting and boiling coffee beans to stay awake through the nights. and for so, that, we thank them. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We've been doing it since the beginning, um, which is, you got to be kind of desperate to watch a sheep eating something and starting like to freak out and being like, yeah, I'm going <laughs> to eat that too. <laughs> My turn. <laughs> I want some of that. That sheep is having a great time. <laughs> so we're going to start out uh, in part one with stimulants. I'm going to talk about these four categories um and uh, i'm gonna specifically go with coca i'm gonna talk about coca the root uh plant that makes uh things like cocaine okay yeah (laughs) i could have done coffee or tea but this is but you know what we're all we're all adults you know what (laughs) columbia is known for its coffee (laughs) And also, and also, also the cocaine, <laughs> la cocaine. <laughs> it's like an extra, an extra diphthong. Well, in just, yeah, I mean, right. he is Peruvian, so yeah, yep. Um, which it, it's funny, the actual plant, um, the coca plant um, in Peru, there is like a, um, there's a whole thing about like it's not a drug um, because it's actually they make it into a nice tea. I've had the coca tea before, and it's great. It's like a strong cup of coffee. You get up, you're moving, you're grooving. Uh, it, it doesn't. You're have... trading stocks. <laughs> <laughs> Your screenplay is getting out there. Um, but in any case, the coca or the oh boy, here comes the pronunciation: erythroxylon coca. So perfect. Killed it. That's close enough. Uh, has been uh, used as a medicine and stimulant for over 4,000 years. Um, it is grown in the Andes Mountains of South America and Colombia, Peru. What, what? Represent. Shout out to Peru. Uh, <laughs> and Bolivia. Um, cocaine is extracted from its leaves, and uh, the inhabitants of South America would chew the leaves as they believed it to elevate mood, uh, help with digesti- digestion, and suppress appetite. Mm. Um, and, yeah, it does, all, it does all those things. <laughs> it does all those things. I you agree. get super skinny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you never sleep again. Never yeah, sleep. my nose is bleeding all the time. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> Nearly 100 years ago, uh, cocaine was touted as a wonder drug, uh, a cure for everything from morphine addiction to tuberculosis to depression to dyspepsia. Yeah, oh. that's upset stomach. Yeah. Ah, that's where Pepsi comes from. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. <laughs> yep. Um to meet the demand, American drug companies began to explore um, South America for new medicines. So this kind of like, the fact that coca was in South America kind of um, spurred on this whole thing. Like, you ever see Medicine Man with Sean Connery? I have not. Right? They're like, oh, if coca's in the jungle. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's go to let's the Let's look for a bunch of other cocaine. awesome <laughs> drugs in there. That's my, that's my that's Sean Connery. That's your excellent Sean Connery. I felt like Sean he was Connery in the room. In South America. <laughs> 
Thank you, Damn everyone. Man. <laughs> Let's all just do Sean Connery impressions. I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in any case, cocaine uh, has an anesthetic effect, and Western medicine used it as, uh, as such, especially in nasal surgery. Oh, oh how ironic. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, so... Um, so the whole attraction, I guess, of it for Americans or the West, I would say, mm-hmm. is that it was like from the jungle. So it had like an exoticism to it or because it was so like easy to get because it was like we could just go into the jungle and get it. And who cares about the the natives who live there kind of thing? Well, I think like any drug, it was more because it worked really well. Oh, okay. That too. <laughs> <laughs> I okay, mean, that too. They, 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 it was a great local anesthetic, um, and it was often used for medical purposes, um, like for skin lacerations, uh, nose or throat surgeries, dental procedures. They mm. used it for all sorts of things. Um, and uh, they continue to use derivatives of it today in medicine. Oh. You have to get a prescription. Sure. Um, all that jazz. Um, but incidentally... At one time, there was uh, Coca Cola, <laughs> and there was Coca-Cola. actually Coca in the Coca Cola. Um, Coca leaf uh, cola nut. Yeah, yep. so like Coca Cola used to be like awesome, <laughs> 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 and now it's just fine. <laughs> um, but uh, Coca-Cola drastically reduced its cocaine content to a mere trace when it became known that cocaine could be harmful. Shocker. Yeah. Um, it was not until 1929 that Coca-Cola uh, drink became cocaine-free. Um, yeah. So it was. It reasons. had cocaine in it up until, like, well into the 20th century. Yeah, like your great-grandma could have been... Pounding down Sipping some, on some cocaine. <laughs> Probably the one juice. Coca-Cola that my great-grandmother could afford every year. Right. <laughs> it was worth it. Yeah, totally. Pound a Coca-Cola, start cleaning the house. <laughs> anyway. One of my like current favorite genres of reading is like medical hit like quacky medical history oh, stuff okay. like yeah. i'm on like book four right now about <laughs> all this in this past year dealing with like all the crazy ways that they used to cut people open and all the different things that they would give you to like it. oh yeah make things better and mm-hmm. you know bleed you out and add this <laughs> thing and give a give you a smoke enema and just like all these crazy <laughs> things and i love that i lo- like i love all like, these like patent medicines that are like this will cure everything. Yeah. This will cure yeah, from your head to your toe. And yeah. it's just like liquid morphine. <laughs> yeah. Cocaine tooth toothache drops. <laughs> I know there was that one like Mrs. Something's um, uh, cough and cold medicine for children. And it was just like lithium. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, your kids won't be coughing because they will be in a, in a catatonic state. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Man. Hey, what works works. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it worked. That's all that matters. Uh, in the 1970s, cocaine evolved as a recreational drug, um, but it was expensive and widely believed to have no serious consequences. Um, it's not true, but uh, <laughs> yeah. it was perceived as a safe drug. Um, the price dropped steadily, and by the mid 80s, oh, it was used on a regular basis, especially by. Americans. Yeah. Of course, because, you know. We love that nose candy. We here's, love that, the here's nose the candy. feeling good all the time. <laughs> the realization yes. that cocaine was highly addictive and dangerous uh, was slow and brought home by the high 
high-profile celebrity deaths. Oh, sure, Ooh. yeah. Um, so I guess if poor people die, it's, you know, whatever. But <laughs> hey, you know, I guess. You give a comedian a speedball and it's <laughs> yeah. front-page news. Yeah, exactly. Chris Farley. Yeah. Poor guy. Yeah, bless him. John Belushi. R.I.P. John yeah. Belushi, yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, is that, you know, like there's crack cocaine and then mm-hmm. there was cocaine and they're both the same thing, essentially. Just different forms. Just different, different forms, forms, basically. But, you know, it, crack cocaine is smoked and cocaine is snorted, obviously. And so there yeah, was a lot knows. of like... She knows. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> um, but there were a lot of like weird, like socioeconomic issues with that where like like poor black people did crack mm-hmm. cocaine and that was bad. Like people yeah. died from that and they deserved it. Like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But like cocaine was like, Ooh, it was clean and pure and expensive. And like white people used it, like rich white people used it. And they were the same exact thing, but the kind of like perception of it was so incredibly different. Sure. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It wasn't until like celebrities started dying that people were like, Oh, this Ooh, is not interesting. Oh, interesting. this is, Oh, this is a drug. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, speaking of crack. Uh, yeah. Cocaine's process is a powder, uh, and crack crack is considered the more dangerous drug. Mm. Um, powder cocaine is the hydrochloride salt from Form of uh, cocaine or HCl uh, as a salt, it is soluble in water, stable as a powder, and usually snorted through the nose. <laughs> Which I, I never got. Man, I hate things going up my nose in general. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I've been around people that have done it, and it holds no appeal to me whatsoever. <laughs> in like ninth grade, um, one of my friends snorted a blue pixie stick. Oh. And then she was like spitting blue for like the rest of the day. <laughs> but that's as close as I've been. <laughs> that's yeah. the real gateway drug. <laughs> pixie sticks. Anyway, that's crack cocaine. <laughs> <It's whack. laughs> crack is whack. Yes. Wise words from the late I wonder who said Whitney that. Houston. Yeah. Crack May is whack. <sighs> lost another, lost another good one. In any case, on to part two. Hypnotics. So these are substances that cause uh, states of sleep, stupor, or calm, such as the mandrake. Oh, we already talked about this part. Opium. Mm-hmm. Where do um, I get a mandrake? Yeah. Where don't you? <laughs> I have no idea. I'm not entirely sure what a mandrake is. <laughs> I think it, I imagine it's a plant of some kind. I just assumed it was shorthand for your buddy Drake. <laughs> my man Drake. My, my man Drake. <laughs> That's where you Boom. get your hypnotic. Boom. <laughs> solid joke. Solid. Uh, yes. Uh, hypnotic comes from the Greek, hi- Greek hypnos, uh, mm-hmm. or sleep, um, or it is a sopophoric drug commonly known uh, as sleeping pills uh, they're a class of psychoactive dr- psychoactive drugs uh, whose primary function is to induce sleep um, and to be used in the treatment of insomnia or uh, surgical anesthetics so um, hypnotics uh, kind of include a like pretty much most of your uh, pharmaceutical drugs okay right? okay um, Yes, it's a class of uh, som- somnif- somniferous, there we go, drugs and um, substances tested in medicine uh, of the late 1890s and later included, oh boy, here it comes, urethane, acetyl, methylol, sulfonol. <laughs> You're killing it. Keep going. I know. I know. He's only had one bottle of wine. Parallel <laughs> Bar- to hide. There we go. Amylonehydrate. Mm. 
hypnon. Sure. Chlorothren. <laughs> <laughs> and Olharalamid. <laughs> New spelling bee idea. Yeah, you're doing great. That's exactly how you say it. Okay. All of those things. Sure. Um, <clears throat> research about using medications to treat insomnia evolved uh, throughout the last uh, half of the 20th century. Treatment uh, for insomnia in psychiatry dates back to uh, 1869 when a chloral hydrate was first used as a sopophoric. Um, and this is where barbiturates comes into play. Uh, barbiturates emerged as the first class of drug that emerged in the early 1900s, um, after which chemical substitutions were allowed uh, derivative compounds. Uh, although the best drug family at the time, less toxic and fewer side effects, they were still dangerous. You could mm -hmm. still overdose on them. Um, intended to cause physical and psychological dependence. Um, oh. So, like, now you're getting into, like, um, benzodiazepam. So, like, if you ever watch Wolf of Wall Street and they take the benzos mm -hmm. and, yeah. like, crawling out of the car and acting all crazy, mm -hmm. they're on benzodiazepam. Okay. Yeah. So, so, cocaine and benzos. So, you had, like, the up and then you had the down. Yeah, you had the upper, you had the downer. Okay. You're really just going for it um <laughs> yeah i mean there this is like this category of drug really does just live in the um in the pharmaceutical world sure. so like i could get into any one specifically but they all kind of do similar things um they are often used uh as antidepressants mm -hmm. um so uh for example mert Tazepine <laughs> is an antidepressant. Um, a lot of antipsychotics. Really, what it it does is just kind of. Oh wow, Benadryl is also in there. Hell yeah, oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'm yep. just down with the Benadryl. I'm That's what I take when I need to fall asleep, like <laughs> yes. right away. No yeah. yeah. Um, so, like, as an antipsychotic or an antidepressant, I feel like really all it, and I, I've, I've never done an antidepressant or I've never been on an antipsychotic, uh, so I might be completely speaking out of school here. But it sounds like it just kind of dulls dulls your senses, and so you're not, you know, acting crazy. Right. I don't know. That's probably kind of like a, that was helps to calm but. your nerve your nerves down, like your right. nerve endings, mm -hmm. and from overact. Like if mm -hmm. you have a lot of anxiety or that kind of thing, I imagine it kind of like quiets those parts of your brain. Yeah. Correct. Yes. Little sure. neuron, um, little, little massage for your neurons. Yeah. A little soft bedtime for your neurons. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the biggest ones I actually did end up, uh, uh finding, um, one of these, uh, drugs in the category is opium. Oh, sure. Yeah. Opium. Yeah. <laughs> opiates. Uh, the Sumerians in 3400 BC cultivated opium poppy and referred to it as hulgil or the joy plant Ooh, okay uh, it was passed on to the assyrians who in turn passed it to the egyptians um and we'll find out that the egyptians were like down with all sorts of stuff like okay. not only they were they into opiates but they had like they were the first bearers of like beer and wine and we'll we'll come up to that when we get into the uh inebriants um but yeah, um, opium was known to the ancient Greek and Roman physicians as a powerful pain reliever. Uh, 
In the English translation of Homer's Odyssey by Robert Fagels, it is mentioned that Helen used a psychoactive drug on Menelaus's men, uh, but the name of the drug was not mentioned. And uh, I actually have a little excerpt from that. Um, it goes, Then Helen, Zeus's daughter, thought of something else. She quickly dropped into the wine they were enjoying a drug which eased men's pain and irritations, making them forget their troubles. A drink of this, once mixed in with the wine, would guarantee no man would let a tear fall from his cheek for one whole day, not even if his mother and father died. <laughs> Or if in his own presence, men armed with swords hacked down his brother or his son as he looked on. And that's from Homer's Odyssey. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. That is some strong stuff. Right. Be like, fine, kill my parents. I don't even care. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. I'm feeling groovy. (laughs) So that's the power of these kinds of drugs. Um, And there's a whole bunch more on that that we don't really need to get into. So is, opi- is opium a powder? Uh, opium is dried from the uh, poppy, poppy uh-huh. seeds. So that's why, um, like, if you have a, like a poppy seed bagel, yeah. something like that, you can be uh, drug tested right. and get positive for opium. Okay. <laughs> um, interestingly enough, uh, what is it? I think it's Afghanistan has large, mm. one of its main exports mm-hmm. is uh Heroin. Uh, op- heroin. Po- that's also a derivative of a yeah. poppy seed. And, uh, they used to have like the opium dens and then like opium snuff in your snuff boxes. And yeah, I'm it's not very sh- chic in the 18th and 19th century. Yes, very. And uh, laudanum, which is like a liquid derived from opium. Oh. Um, it plays which, a very... Which guy? Uh, Wilkie Collins oh, was yeah. hooked on that, oh, yeah. on that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Also, uh, wouldn't shed a tear. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> He kills a puppy in Drew. It's very bad. <laughs> Not true. I mean, it's his fiction book. Yeah. But yeah, he's really uh, into... I think opium... You don't know he smoked. didn't kill a puppy. That's true. I don't know that he didn't kill a puppy. That's true. Um, speaking of opium dens, Chinese immigrants to the United States in the mid-1800s worked for railroads and brought the habit of smoking opium with them. Railroads is hard work, man. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. yeah. Sometimes you just got to kick back and relax. In right. a room full of... Heavy clouds of smoke. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they sprang up in San Francisco's Chinatown and spread eastward towards New York. Um, they actually uh, it became illegal. Uh, part of the, the movement to make it illegal um, was really an excuse to kind of persecute uh, the Chinese railroad mm, workers. Really, okay. a, lot, a lot of the reason a lot of these drugs are illegal has to do with deep racist sentiment towards <laughs> groups of people. Mm-hmm. So they're like, well, you know, I don't smoke opium, but all those Chinese people are, and I don't like those guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now opium's illegal. Well, in some forms. Now it's mostly used for medicinal stuff. We in can still case, make muffins. We can still seeds. make muffins. You can still get poppy seeds and all that jazz, but because mm-hmm. it takes a lot to turn it yeah. into a thing i've never gotten carded buying poppy seeds no that's you know? true yeah no <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to sign the book yeah. give your driver's license mm-hmm. right well it's fairly hard to like get any of those compounds to happen unless you have like a lab <laughs> at your house <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are you doing i'm making bagels mom get out of here <laughs> um so now we're going to go on to inebriants you know yes. alcohol yeah. those types of things and this is actually where um 
I'm the most familiar in terms of inebriants. Um, so we'll start with wine. Um, wine is one of those things that has been around since the beginning because, um, you know, grapes have always been around and grapes have sugar in them and there's always wild yeasties in the air and Mm -hmm. yeast likes to eat sugar and make alcohol. And so you can kind of deduce fairly simply that if you had a bunch of grapes and they were sitting there and they started fermenting and getting bubbly and then you drank that, you'd be like, ooh, this is making me feel some kind of way. Okay, okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And the oldest seeds of uh, cultivated vines um, so far I've been discovered and carbonated. They were found in Georgia and belong to uh, the period from 7,000 to 5,000 B.C. or B.C.E., according to Jewish and Christian tradition. Um, One of Noah's first actions after coming out of the ark was to plant a vineyard. Mm. Um, Smart. Yeah. He had a lot to deal with after that. <laughs> yeah. like, Listen, there's only my family here <laughs> to repopulate the planet. This is getting weird. I need a glass I of gotta wine. I got to get some wine. Yeah. <laughs> um, and since then, it's essentially shaped kind of uh, um, culture from there. It's been produced for thousands of years. Although there is evidence of a similar alcoholic beverage being consumed earlier in China, um, the earliest known winery um, is 6,100 years old um, in Armenia. Uh, the wine reached the Balkans by 4,500 BC and was consumed and celebrated in ancient Greece, Thrace, and Rome. Throughout history, wine has been consumed for its intoxicating effects, which is Mm. It's in the, it's this like, business. Like good, good Armenian wine. Mm. Right. Still um, around today. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and as long as it's... Uh, similarly, uh, wine's played a long and important role in religion. Red wine is associated with blood by the ancient Egyptians, and you could even say Christianity is mm-hmm. part of the, yep. the uh, Eucharist. Um, in the... There was a whole cult of Dionysus, um, ancient Greek cult of Dionysus, and then the Romans had a Bacchanalia, which celebrated Bacchus. Um, which Dionysus, if I remember right, was kind of more like a fancy man, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whereas Bacchus was like a dude. He had a beard. And he was like, oh, let's get drunk. Kind of like the, the yeah. Ghost of Christmas. Which one? Oh, Ghost of Christmas Present. Yeah. Yes, yes. Definitely more of a Bacchus In the, in the Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah, in the Muppet right. Christmas Carol, specifically. <laughs> which is the only one to reference at any point. <laughs> what I found was really interesting, too, about um, wine in general or uh, its prevalence in certain regions of the world. Like, for example, like when we just talked about Greece and Italy and, and that kind of area. Um, it's very favorable to the cultivation of grapevines. Um, And so you see wine as the predominant beverage in those regions. Um, But then when you go further, further north, those wine, those vines don't flourish as well Mm, because it's too cold. And that's where you see beer Mm. being the uh, drink of choice for like the barbarians, you know, the the, Mm. the Celtic cultures that they were more uh, beer. Uh, there were beer drinkers, and that, that was mainly a utility of uh, environment. So mm-hmm. I always think, like, when I go through, especially when it comes to um, these old, like, wine and beer and mead, um, how geography and uh, um, place and setting has, has so much to do with, like, how cultures 
emerge and mm, function. Yeah, yeah. Um, and especially at the time, um, in both of those categories, like wine and beer, um, were more safe to drink than the water. Yeah. <laughs> so like often when you read these histories of uh, um, armies, you know, going at it and all these policies happening, you got to keep in mind that these guys are all hammered. <laughs> They've... <laughs> They've only been drinking beer and wine <laughs> their whole lives. That's yeah, why the Peloponnesian War was 65 years long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and going into wine, you also get into, um, I figured I'd, I'd take a nice little departure into champagne, which I think is uh, pretty interesting because um, it's another one of those things where the origin is not really known, but it's, one that you can imagine because it's fairly simple to make mm-hmm. champagne. It's a, it started as like a mess up. Like everyone knows, or I shouldn't say everyone, but it is theorized that it was a total accident yeah. making uh, uh, sparkling or, well, they, if you're not in champagne, <laughs> sparkling wine. But uh, it has to do with a secondary fermentation uh, in the bottle. And um, the legend has it uh, at the age of 19 Dom Perignon entered the Benedictine order of the Abbey of Hautvillers near the town of... Hautvillers. Oh, I don't know. I'm not French. <laughs> well, Julius Peruvian. <laughs> He's Peruvian. I, yes. Um, if you need Julia to do a, a quick French uh, translation for you... Oh, that would be wonderful. She's good at it. Hautvillers. Near the town of... Oh, here we go. Epernay. Epern. Wow. <laughs> Epern. <laughs> uh, within Champagne, France. Um, there he served as cellar master responsible for overseeing the Abbey's extensive wine production, aging, and storage. Uh, Perignon was tasked with riddling the Abbey's sparkling wine of bubbles, a common problem winemakers of the time experienced due to a refermentation. Uh, Perignon's failure uh, is that he was unable to debubble the wine, um, became the toast of Celebrance. That was a strange sentence, but I mean that's a pretty sweet saying. gig in the Abbey. You know, yeah. you're right. not you're not handwriting manuscripts. Nope. you're not just all day. being silent. Yeah, no, you just turn in bottles. Yeah. a quarter of a, a rotation. <laughs> <laughs> over, but then and they over. need you to taste test, right? Yeah, sure. Um, so then, yeah, uh, throughout history, when Perignon tasted his botched wine, uh, on the 4th of August, 1693, and reportedly exclaimed to his fellow monks, come quickly, I'm drinking the stars. Oh. Mm. (laughs) And they were like, like, another one loses his mind in this this monastery. (laughs) Um... Though the triumphant legend of the invention of champagne is not verifiable, uh, this much is true. Perignon made a significant contribution to the development of champagne uh, when he discovered the technique that allows vintners to produce a successful white wine from uh, red grapes. Because not many people know this, but uh, red grapes, the juice inside is actually white, and it is the breaking of the skins that give the uh, liquid pigment, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. Yeah. But uh yeah, I mean uh, I would say that this dude is like the best at marketing because he <laughs> totally boned it. He's like, "Well, guys, hold on. This actually tastes pretty good." Stars. <laughs> I know I messed up by I was supposed there's not supposed to be bubbles, but 
what if there was bubbles? <laughs> <laughs> These bubbles are actually mm, delicious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's another one of those things where, you know, he, he may be, you know, that's the legend and it's not verifiable, but it's one of those things that very easily accidentally happens all the oh, time. Yeah. I've mm-hmm. definitely accidentally made champagne and it was delicious. <laughs> uh, all that's really happening is that there is a trace amount of um, nutrients and residual sugar and all you need is a little a little yeasty boy to get in there and start going to town. And Are you saying yeasty? Yeasty like boys. Like a little yeasty? Yeah. Yeasties. Little yeasties. <laughs> like that's beasties, but with a Y. Exactly. <laughs> that's what I, that's how I talk to my yeast before I pitch them in my beverages. I'm like, bye little yeasty boys. <laughs> Have fun in there. You got to fight for your right. Um, <laughs> that's very good. That's a good joke. Uh, <laughs> So now we're getting into beer. Um, so beer is, I would say, kind of parallel um, with wine in that it's been with us since the ancient, uh, the ancient world. Um, only the difference is there's a little bit more processing because um, beer is made. Well, let's start with alcohol production, right? Because um, Again, the yeast eats the sugar, and that's how you make the alcohol. And you're like, well, beer is from these grains. And what's happening when you make beer is you're uh, cracking these grains that have um, carbohydrates, and by boiling them or steeping them in hot water, you're tra- you're cre- turning those complex carbohydrates into fermentable sugars. Okay. okay. And so once you do that, then the yeast can get in there and can start producing your uh, alcohol. Um, and that's... Uh, doesn't happen quite as easily in nature as, you know, just grapevines naturally having the sugar and fermenting Mm -hmm. on its own. Um, So the origin of beer kind of coincides with the origin of um, uh, civilized uh, society in terms of like, you'd have to first be able to cultivate wheat um, (laughs) or some, some places use rice um, and then uh, it's theorized that uh, the first beers um, were, were again, mess-ups. Um, they were trying to make bread, right? And it really started out as this kind of like more of like a barley wine um, that they – I don't know the exact story, but I would guess that it started with like uh, gross leftover like grains from bread production and like got – got wet and funky and hot and started bubbling and some dude was like yo man I dare you to drink that (laughs) (laughs) it looks gross and then they did and they're like you know what actually should dare me to drink more of it (laughs) (laughs) um yeah, and it goes back to the ancient Egyptians. The first doc, uh, documented brewing process was on papyrus scrolls, uh, again, around 5000 BC or BCE. <laughs> These first beers uh, were brewed with things like dates, pomegranates, and other indigenous herbs, and were probably quite harsh by today's standards. Mm. <laughs> um, the Egyptians used beer for religious ceremonies, uh, with the pharaohs directing the brewing schedule and uh, distribution to the masses um you could call the pharaohs first the pharaohs the first brewmasters um, oh okay oh, yeah cool. 
Um, before the Egyptians, uh, the primitive cultures of Mesopotamia are believed to have been the first brewers, though they didn't bother to write anything down. Um, mm. This was before 10,000 BC. So this was a long time ago. They were like... Predates written, record, yeah, okay. Whatever. The only way I can write anything down is just to jam a chisel into this rock. So... <laughs> Not worth it. <laughs> I'm too drunk. <laughs> uh, all they left behind were malted barley scraps and bowls with uh, with beer-like residue. Um, the residue was probably re- remnants of grains like porridge that had fermented naturally. That's kind of like what we were just talking about. Um, so, yeah, um, one of the most uh, popular uh, beers to this day is the IPA or the India Pale Ale. Boo. Mm-hmm. Um, Boo. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> Jewel not a fan of the IPA. Again, uh, this this kind of piques my interest because it's one of those things um that are uh, it's an invention of total necessity um that creates an entirely different flavor profile that people seem to enjoy these days except for Julia who hates it. So the hoppiness of IPAs <laughs> is just like it's not enjoyable to me. See, I I like hoppiness. I like like the bitter quality of beer, Ugh. but I really dislike the malty quality of beer because it's too bready. So oh. I'm more into like I like the sour beers. I like the IPAs, but uh-huh. the malty. I like a lager. Yeah, Julia okay. Likes a lager. That's funny because um, I'm like the exact opposite. I like the maltiness. Mm-hmm. I like like a stout or something creamy Ugh. or honey brown. Um, but uh, speaking of sour, so speaking of mess ups, uh, okay. sour beer um, that's produced, um, let's say a traditional kettle sour. Uh, what you do is you, from your kettle, instead of immediately chilling it through a chiller, mm-hmm. um, you let it sit overnight and you allow um, this bacteria called lactobacillus to form. Okay. And what lactobacillus does is it creates. In wine, you'd call it something like volatile acidity, uh-huh. but it increases the amount of acid in the wine, or I'm sorry, in the beer. <laughs> it increases the amount of acid in the beer, which gives it that sour okay. that you so love. Enjoy. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Sours are in. Yeah, yeah, sours are so hot right now. Um, I'm so trendy. I'm a hype beast. But mm-hmm. uh, le- lactobacillus is the stuff in like yogurt. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Makes you good what for your you tum-tum. What did you call yourself? I'm a hype beast. Where did that word come from? Oh, it's come the from? teens are saying hype beast. I'm <laughs> a, I'm hyphy, you know? Hype beast? There's so many things that... It's because... And I'm like, I don't know if this is drag queen talk <laughs> or if this is teen talk. Or, so, you know, wh- where you learn these words. Is it Twitter? No, uh, yeah, it's Twitter. Uh-huh. One, it's Twitter. Two, hype beast means that you are so, tr- you actually set the trend. Oh. <laughs> That's how trendy you are. You're like, and you always like, dr- like you dress head to toe in like hype beast stuff. It's usually like what? athleisure. So it's an adge- is it an adjective and a noun? Um, it, I think it's just a noun. <laughs> I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I learned it from Twitter. I'm sorry. If you know anything about hype beast or hype beast culture, please email us at Mr. Just Popata tweet it, Lauren. You don't have to bother me with that. Yeah, don't bother Julia. Just tweet at me. Oh, I want to be a hype beast. That sounds awesome. That's a good name for your blend. Yes. Oh, hype yeah. beast. Oh, that's the one. Yeah. Hype beast. Writing bread. it down. Yeah. Patent pending. Copyright. <laughs> if you say it, people can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. So you're good. Science. In any case, <laughs> IPAs um, that you don't like, and uh, I'm only bringing this up because it interests me. That's okay. The whole thing. Like, I'm not banning the topic. <laughs> I just don't want to drink it. Yeah. You know what? Forget it. Let's just move on. <laughs> 
Um, the term pale ale originally uh, denoted an ale brewed from pale malt. Simple enough. Uh, among the first brewers known to export beer to India was Englishman George Hodgson's Bow Brewery on the Middlesex Essex border. Hmm. Bow Brewery beers became popular among East India Company traders in the late 18th century because of the brewer's location near the East India docks mm. uh, in Blackwall. The export style of pale ale, uh, which had become known as India pale ale, developed in England around 1840, and it later became popular a popular product there. And the reason... Um, that uh, what sets India pale ales apart was the addition of um, a ridiculous amount of hops. Mm -hmm. And the reason they do this ridiculous amount of hops is because it has um, what's called alpha acids in there, kind of like your sour beers in that it um, depends on the amount of acidity in there. Um, These hops uh, give some acidity, not quite as much as your lactobacillus, Mm -hmm. but uh, what it, the reason that you like the acid in there not only does it give it a nice citrusy note um but it helps prevent uh spoilage in Ah, the long route to india yes okay so it was totally utilitarian we just needed they just needed the beer to last long enough to get to india and drink um so i thought that was interesting Uh, that's cool that makes sense yeah right on to part four Hallucinogens. Ooh, now, ooh. this one, this is a loaded one. This uh, hallucinogens <laughs> have uh, a crazy, crazy history, um, and can go anywhere. I could talk for hours about it. It's uh, intensely interesting, um, and also dark and funny and weird. And it, it's it's a fun <laughs> it's a fun topic to to uh, get into. Um, one of the sources that I, I was looking at, um, they were talking about uh, pot, and it said marijuana is a hallucinogen like LSD um, from the plant cab- cannabis sativa. And the first thing I saw, thought when I saw that sentence was, uh, marijuana is nothing like LSD. Do not <laughs> take LSD thinking, thinking that, that it's like marijuana. <laughs> couch and play video games all night. Yeah, exactly. It's not going to happen. You're going to do something totally different. Um, So we're going to start here with um, psilocybin mushrooms. And uh, I wanted to start there mainly because um, there are, there's a lot of um, speculation or a lot of theories about it. And I wanted to talk about one theory from Terrence McKenna about the, um, cooperation or the correlation or or whatever, the uh, interplaying of um, humanity's evolution with these psychoactive fungi, Mm. right? Mm. Now, I'm going to put a disclaimer on there (laughs) that uh, this is all coming from um, Terrence McKenna's book, The uh, Food of the Gods. This is about Terrence McKenna's stoned ape theory. Um, So the stoned ape theory has not received attention from the scientific community and has been criticized for its relative lack of citation (laughs) to any paleoanthropological evidence uh, informing or understanding of human origins. So I'm going to talk about this because it's a really interesting theory, but know that it has like... No scientific... No, it's (laughs) like... (laughs) 
there's no actual verifiable uh, proof that it's true. It's just like interesting. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. that's a possibility. Yeah. <laughs> it's a theory. Sure. Um, but the theory uh, goes as such. Um, it's proposed that the transformation from humans' early ancestors, Homo erectus, to Homo sapiens um, is mainly to do with the addition of the mushroom Psilobi uh, cubensis in its diet. Um, and I'll paraphrase because this is a long thing, but around uh, 100,000 years BCE, um, what happened when, in Africa when the, um, the jungles subsided and we were starting to, the desertification mm-hmm. of the continent was beginning and there became these long grasslands and our ancestors were leaving the jungle and going into the plains and foraging for food um, in the poopy the poop-a-doop of uh, <laughs> the herds animals uh, grew these mushrooms. Until you he have has two small s- children. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you can tell you have two small children. Uh, <laughs> no joke. I've said to grown adults, um, Poppy's got to go potty. <laughs> <laughs> and it's because having kids just... Makes job interviews awkward. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So they'd find these mushrooms growing in um, the dung of these animals and they'd eat it um, and they'd start having these wild uh, hallucinations. Um, And the hypothesis was that low doses of psilocybin improve visual acuity, particularly uh, edge detection, meaning the presence of psilocybin in the diet of early pack hunting primates caused the individuals who were consuming psilocybin mushrooms to be better hunters than those who were not, resulting in an increased food supply and in turn a higher rate of reproductive success. Um, then slightly higher doses, he contended, the mushrooms acts to sexually arouse, leading uh, to higher uh, level of attention, more energy in the orgasm, and uh, potential <laughs> erection in the males. Oh hello, hello. I didn't think we were going <laughs> down this route. This is what it's all about. That's how evolution works. No, I mean... Uh, <laughs> You're not getting any argument from me. (laughs) (laughs) Just, you really sold that. You really put some theater stank on it Mm -hmm. that I was Mm -hmm. not expecting. So thank you. Acting? So it's it's kind of like the limitless pill. Like, (laughs) it it makes you sharper. (laughs) (laughs) So it, it like improved their, uh, their senses in order to, I guess, like, I don't know. Survive better. Survive better and like kind of evolve quicker. Right. Right. That, that is the that is his. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's how he. That's how he posits is that uh, because of these things they're able to get a step up in the evolutionary. So like if there's a uh, what's the word a herd not a herd a pride a, but no no that, these are a group a, a gang of monkeys. Uh, let's say there's <laughs> She's a gang. very good at animal. <laughs> yeah, I think it's actually I think it might be a gang of monkeys. But yeah, go ahead. I'll take it. Yeah. Um, so let's say you're that gang of monkeys and you find this mushroom and next thing you know, you're out competing all the rival gangs of monkeys. Mm-hmm. Um, and then your kids are able to do that and give it a hundred generations and they have big brains and it's can talk. Performance enhancing drugs. Yeah. yeah. Performance enhancing drugs. There you go. Um, consequently, 
there was a mix of genes, uh, greater genetic diversity, and a communal sense of responsibility for the group offspring. Uh, at these higher doses, McKenna also argued that psilocybin would be triggering activity in the language-forming region of the brain, manifesting as music and visions, thus catalyzing the emergence of language in early hominids by expanding their arboreally evolved repertoire of troop signals. Uh, he also pointed out the psilocybin would dissolve the ego and uh, religious concerns would be at the forefront of the tribe's consciousness simply because of the power and strangeness of the experience itself. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Sure well, and, and it also kind of informs the idea that um, all of uh, these early, um, early man or the uh, um, early tribes and tribes today, actually, this continues on to now have some sort of psychedelic, psychedelic ritual. Mm -hmm. um, think about peyote for um, the American native or okay. native American tribes or, um, Ayahuasca, ayahuasca for your for your Peruvian ancestors, um, and similarly in um, the Scandinavian tradition, the eating of Amanita muscaria mushrooms, um, which I have a little thing about here, um, that kind of seeps into that culture. So not only were those barbarians uh, drunk on beer, but they were like high on psychedelics. <laughs> um, so these so these mushrooms from that that you know that the that the early peoples mm. were ingesting are, is that still around? Yeah. So yeah. then did this author like have to do a study? Like where he's <laughs> like, no, really Janet, this is, <laughs> this is for my book. <laughs> I'll oh. be in the basement. <laughs> Ignore the sounds. Yeah, here. Do not come down here. Do not trust me. It's science. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, any in any case these mushrooms were like the the initial psychedelics and um there's even a guy whose name is John Marco Labgro who wrote a book called uh, The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross. Um he was one of the um very few people who were able to study the Dead Sea Scrolls. Oh, and wow. he was the only non-Vatican scholar. He uh -huh. was a secularist. Um, but he wrote a book um, that posited that the early Christian church was actually an ancient mushroom cult. And uh, the figure of Jesus um, was essentially a, a, a glorified, he would you know, he was giving everyone these crazy psychedelic mushrooms and saying, hey, love everybody, check it out. And um, the reason that the Romans didn't really like this activity was because um, it destabilized their stranglehold on the population. People were less willing to fight. Mm. Um, think about, um, you know, they would throw Romans to the, or I'm sorry, throw early Christians mm -hmm. to the lions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um Wow. And so he he was a he was a rabble rouser. Uh, they didn't go over this in catechism so, class. No, they did not. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Uh, it's not one of those things that's uh, touted as like a big mushroom cult. <laughs> right, right. Well, mainly because um, of the studies, he's like the only one that did that. Um, like that came to that conclusion. Um, the only reason it has more weight with me is because he was a secularist, while the others were. Vatican scholars, mm -hmm. which would kind of give them a reason to have that not be the case. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, 
And again, these are all theories. You don't, no one really knows, wow. but yeah. that is, that is one of the theories out there, which I found, um, pretty interesting, especially, um, when you're talking about the, um, communion, when you're talking about oh, communion, yeah. you say mm-hmm. things like, um, this is my body, eat mm-hmm. this. And you know, you like imagine communion back then. Right. It's way more fun. <laughs> 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 um, if that is real again, theories. Um, so yeah, th- that's mushrooms. Um, let's go into marijuana now. This is fun. Legalize it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. I'm with you. Um, marijuana, also known as uh, cannabis or pot, has a long history of human use. Um, the plant originally evolved in Central Asia uh, before people introduced the plant to Africa, Europe, and eventually the Americas. Um, the hemp fiber was used to make clothing, uh, paper, sails, mm. rope, uh, and its seeds were used as food. Uh, you could eat them. The, none of those things had any sort of psychoactive properties. Um and because it is fast, a fast-growing plant, um, it was easy to cultivate and had a, a million uses, like I just mentioned. Um, and all of that had nothing to do with the fact that it could get you high. Um, <laughs> so it was very utilitarian, again, which is one of those things that interests me. But um, early hemp plants had very low levels of THC, uh, the chemical responsible for marijuana's mind-altering effects. Uh, There is some evidence that ancient cultures knew about the psychoactive properties of the cannabis plant, and uh, they did cultivate some varieties to produce higher levels of THC for religious ceremonies uh, or healing practices. Um, But uh, that didn't really start happening until later on. Like right now, is probably the best weed you're going to get in throughout the human history <laughs> because there's whole industries now dedicated to like raising up that THC level. So they're able to kind of isolate the chemicals within it. Like isn't like CBD's part of it yeah. and that's mm-hmm. good but you don't get like the like the hallucinogenic yes. like side effects. It just gives you these other it has more yeah. homeopathic qualities. Yeah, yeah you, yeah, you don't get but, high from but it. But THC is the thing that makes you like feel good. Yeah. <laughs> it's not an endorsement. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Um, all right. So, in writings of uh, the Chinese emperor Shane Noon, that's where the first kind of direct reference from can- the cannabis product as a psychoactive agent came from. Um, the focus uh, on its power as a medication for rheumatism, gout, malaria, and oddly enough, absent-mindedness, which is <laughs> not my this was, <laughs> not your the special Asian yeah. cannabis. <laughs> um, mention was made of the intoxicating properties, but the medicinal value was considered more important. Uh, in India, though, it was clearly used recreationally. Um, the Muslims, too, used it uh, recreationally for alcohol consumption uh, because alcohol consumption was banned by the Quran. So Mm. they get high instead. Um, It was actually the Muslims who introduced hashish, uh, whose popularity spread quickly throughout the 12th century Persia and North Africa. Um, Little tidbit, um, the word assassin, actually the derivative is from hashish because these groups of people um, who went out and, 
would assassinate <laughs> high levels people. of people. They were all, uh, they were part of this, um, and I apologize if this isn't entirely correct because I'm working from memory now. Um, this, uh, I would say cult, but they would all smoke hashish and they were also fierce fighters, warriors, wow. whatever, and um, people would hire them to put out political hits. And, so and they were just went, high. Right. So, they, yeah, they were high all the time. Um, <laughs> and they were originally known as hashishans. Oh, So then that eventually neat. turned into assassins. Is So is hashish a type of cannabis? Um, like a, a derivative of it? It's a derivative of it. Mix it's it with something else? Well, oh, all right, so hashish or hash... Um, that that is produced um, from the THC crystals of okay. the plant. Um, what happens is there's there's a process um, where you extract the THC, and essentially hash is just is just the crystals. Oh, like okay. the, the little it's like a ends up as like a sticky um, mess. Essentially, it's kind of hard to smoke, but it's like so it's super like super strong. potent, it's like super potent. Okay, huh. Yes. These are the things we should have learned in health class. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's marijuana. Um, now we're going to get into uh, LSD. Ooh. Yeah, man. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, LSD is... Oh, look, um, he brought up... There's some things he has in his pocket. He's, oh. He's handing them out to us. <laughs> <laughs> a little stamp. Oh, my yeah. goodness. With a star a, on it. Mine has a smiley face. <laughs> Just kidding, everyone. <laughs> JK. This podcast is going to go like 15 hours long. <laughs> it's not going to make any sense by the end of it. Um, so LSD, uh, the reason I like to bring up LSD is because of its huge, and I know I've said that a lot, uh, but it has a huge impact on uh, the 20th century. I mean, pretty much uh, the 60s mm-hmm, like, yeah. and, and on. Um, its influence on... Um, Art and music and culture is unparalleled um, in terms of a drug. And no one talks about it anymore. No one talks about it, yeah. But it's there, and they're all doing it, guaranteed. (laughs) Um, If you've been to a Fish concert... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the songs are They're not all just grooving on the tunes. Hours long. (laughs) Um, But in any case, in uh, the article, um, The History of Psychedelics and Psychotherapy by Ahmed Kabil of Timeline.com, on November 16th, 1938, Albert Hoffman, a Swiss chemist working at Sandoz Pharmaceuticals, was attempting to create a stimulant uh, when he synthesized um, lysergic acid diethylamine, or LSD, instead. Uh, the substance excited test animals, but it wasn't the circulatory system stimulant Sandos uh, had hoped for, or he had hoped for. Hoffman set LSD aside uh, until five years later when he took another look and accidentally absorbed a small dose through his fingertips Uh-oh. and experienced a radical shift in consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> Again, another total accident. Yeah. Um, the story, uh, if I can remember it correctly, it was, um, he, you know, he was cleaning up, mm-hmm. had a wet rag. He's like, we'll just wipe all this up here. <laughs> yeah. No big deal. And then he started riding his bike home. And <laughs> on his bike trip, it, it all said, and he thought he had died. <laughs> <laughs> How did I get on this rooftop? <laughs> I'm just imagining like his neighbors seeing, oh, there's... 
there's Albie. Albert. He's driving his bike and he's just yelling on his bike. <laughs> 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 there's something wrong with Hoffman over there. Um, after experimenting further, Hoffman concluded the drug would be ideal for psychotherapeutic use. Um, and Sandos began sending doses of LSD and other psychedelic uh, psilocybin, psychedelics like psilocybin to clinics and universities across the world. Uh, a promising decade of research began leading to breakthroughs in understanding the brain's neurochemistry and how therapists might effectively treat mental illness. Uh, in 1960, um, he sent psychedelics to the charismatic Harvard psychologist, Timothy, Timothy Leary. Leary. Oh, I was figuring Timothy Leary would come up at some point. Yeah, today. he started it, this guy. <laughs> and from there, uh, it's all gravy, man. <laughs> <laughs> Timothy Leary got a hold of it and was like, you know what? Everybody's got to try this. <laughs> uh, and it became the predominant cool thing to do. I mean, listen to anything. Uh, you can even see the shift... Um, from early's Beatles albums, yeah. mm-hmm. like I want to hold your hand, <laughs> to like Shagaroo <laughs> and they're all with their Lonely Hearts Club band and acting crazy. That's specifically That's because LSD, of LSD. Really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, LSD um, wasn't just a, a cultural accelerant. You might want to say. Um, but it was used, uh, it, was, it took a very keen interest in, uh, by the military. Um, the CIA did all sorts of crazy experiments with it. Um, I'm sure people at this point have heard of the MKUltra experiments. Yeah, yep. They were using um, LSD to try to create Manchurian candidates Ooh. to, um, you know, murder people, which is one of the really fun experiments they did uh, happened in 1951 now this one um again because uh there's so much mystery surrounding the event um can't be verified so this is another theory a lot of these things are just theories mm-hmm. um, because there's no way to prove any of it but um there was an incident that happened at oh and you're back you're back in the back. mix this is a french town called pont saint esprit uh pont saint esprit pont saint esprit i'm being very offensive to french people i'm sorry it's okay i do it, I do it on the daily it's all right um so in this town, what happened um, in 1951 was uh, they went crazy. And uh, the original like theory behind it was that uh, the bread supply in the town was um, contaminated with ergot, which uh, is what uh, LSD is synthesized from. Okay. Um, later, oh boy, there's a documentary on it um, on Netflix, which I forget the name of, but... Um, it was about a uh, CIA agent um, who died from falling out of a hotel room window, and he was part of the MK Ultra experience, oh. experiments. But um, the theory is, and again, I say theory because none of it's proven. No, the, the CIA wasn't like, oh, yeah, we totally did that. <laughs> um, but he, the theory was that uh, he... Um, was part of uh, dosing essentially this entire town with LSD over a week's period. 
um, and causing like 300 people to be hospitalized. Oh there gosh. were deaths. People <gasps> were literally going crazy. Um, and they were doing it just to see what would happen, um, to see what kind of uh, um, effect it would have or use as a weapon to kind of soften a population. Hadn't the French been through enough at that point? I know, right? right? Rude. <laughs> um, again, this is all hearsay in theory. But wow. um, they're saying that he, uh, he was going to, blow the lid off the whole thing and they threw him out of a, a hotel room window well, again they have neither confirmed nor did yeah. any of those things is true <laughs> allegedly <laughs> allegedly yeah. allegedly um so it's crazy yeah and this kind of brings me to i did a little thing on the war on drugs um because uh you know before this period in the 1960s things were still fairly um loose in terms of regulations of these different drugs um but because of lsd and the counterculture um people were that scared the hell out of people let's put it that way like if you were uh like imagine you grew up and you're 60 years old in the the 19 or late 1950s early 1960s and you're seeing these crazy kids i mean these are buttoned up folks right Right. Mm -hmm. um and next thing you know there's bikinis and they're painting (laughs) their bodies and they're singing crazy songs it's the devil's music that's for sure um it scared people um and i think in a more insidious note uh what uh, what they were really trying to squash were these kind of more open communities that kind of formed um, that were uh, off, essentially off the grid, mm-hmm. like uh, these communes. And um, like in the Haight-Ashbury district, they had oh, these yeah. things called free stores where people would just either donate and you could get all sorts of free stuff, free mm-hmm. food. Free. It was essentially a working culture that was outside of, you know, our monetary system. Right. And, you know, once, you know, if the government's not getting a cut of that cash, mm-hmm. they don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, the war on drugs, it was a campaign led by the U.S. federal government um, of drug prohibition, military aid, and military intervention with the stated aim uh, being to reduce illegal the illegal drug trade uh, in the United States. Um, in 1971, Richard Nixon, um, he was the one that uh, created... <laughs> she went tricky dick. Tricky dick. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. Tricky That's dick. just her Tourette's-like... Uh, uh, code phrase just my nickname for him <laughs> he knows <laughs> he knows what he did <laughs> so anyway uh yeah the war on drugs essentially started uh when uh richard and millhouse nixon um <laughs> declared uh that drug abuse was public enemy number one and um passed the comprehensive drug abuse prevention and control act of 1970 and essentially this sweeping act made um marijuana uh lsd uh psilocybin um all of those crazy disruptive drugs made them illegal um Mm. and because of that uh in large part because of that uh we have we currently now have one of the largest incarceration rates in the world, mm-hmm. um, a mo- lot, mostly from nonviolent drug offenses. Um, similarly, what uh, was even more damaging was a lot of the really good research being done, uh, especially with psychedelics, um, was halted. Like you mm-hmm. couldn't test on it. So any of the um, really good research that was done by scientists back then um, 
was halted uh, and especially helping people um, with um, post-traumatic stress right. syndrome, uh, people with who were dying from cancer, help them cope with the anxiety mm-hmm. of, of mm. possibly dying. Um, on a happy note, uh, now that we're kind of on the other end of this, uh, large public sentiment that the war on drugs uh, has essentially failed, uh, which is fairly, you can say for sure. The whole point was to stop the use of illicit drugs and uh, it did no such thing. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't do it at all. Um, And uh, there's kind of a revival. Um, This is a really interesting uh, thing that I learned. There's a book called... um, how to change your mind. It was written by Michael Pollan. He did Mm -hmm. omnivores dilemma and all that stuff. Well, he just recently did released a book, uh, that book that I just mentioned. Um, and in it, uh, he talks about these kind of like underground, uh, therapists and scientists that continued to study the plant and administer it to the, their patients. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, on the down low, um, and it continues to this day. Uh, and uh, I believe Colorado right now is actually working to decriminalize uh, psilocybin mushrooms because of um, the findings of all these kind of rogue oh, wow. researchers. Um, Cary Grant was super into um, LSD therapy because he oh, yeah. had a lot of mental illness issues. So he was a big, like very vocal proponent of LSD therapy. And even now, like microdosing. That's, uh-huh. that's micro- a thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, microdosing LSD is a... Is Silicon like a, Valley bros. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, also for people who have like horrifying PTSD and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, microdosing is now becoming more of a... Ex- I guess more accepted. It's not so like underground anymore. Taboo, yeah. Uh, what I always thought was funny about the idea of microdosing is that like LSD is you don't need a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So like, it's already a pretty small, like it's a little tiny little dab of liquid or like a little postage stamp Mm -hmm. size. Like how much smaller can you get? (laughs) Yeah. That's why it's called micro, I guess. Like you can accidentally (laughs) take a lot of acid. Yeah. And that's, then you're in, then you're in trouble. Yeah, for sure. Is acid LSD? Yes. Okay. (laughs) There you go. You did it. (laughs) We're learning together. Uh, Life is so profoundly sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yes. Um, but in any case, that was, uh, I guess, my cursory glance of intoxicants. Wow. Yay, that was very Hooray. good. Right. Thank There's you. a lot. There's a lot more oh, in sure. there. And I could probably go a deep dive in any one of these categories because I missed a whole lot of stuff. Sure. But I mean, I think that was very good. Thank, Thank you, Andre. You. Oh, you're Thank welcome. you. You're welcome. Yeah. So I hear you have a quiz for us. I do have a quiz. Okay. Um, and we can get the quiz moving anytime you want. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is Usually we do it now. Yeah. What is okay. your quiz on? Well, uh, what we just talked about. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Great. Okay. Go to town. All right. Here we go. The quiz. Question number one. The chemical responsible for marijuana's mind-altering effects is referred to commonly as THC. What does THC stand for? Question number two. What song written by James Taylor in 1968 was in part about Taylor's addiction to heroin? Question number three. 
What is the name of the little grape root eating nematode that devastated the European wine industry in the late 1800s? Question number four. True or false? In Indiana, it is illegal to sell chilled alcohol in a retail store. Question number five. Who said it? Imagine a society that subjects people to conditions that make them terribly unhappy, then gives them the drugs to take away their unhappiness. Question number six. What is the official alcohol of the United States? Question number seven. What is the name of the psychedelic mushroom most associated with Christmas? Question number eight. Which of the following is true about PCP? It was developed as a cure for migraine headaches. It was developed as truth serum for the CIA. It was used in the 1950s as a blood pressure medication. Or it was used in the 1950s as a surgical anesthetic. Question number nine. The United States makes up 5% of the world's population and consumes what percentage of the world's prescription drugs? Question number 10. Dama Blanca is the street term for what illicit drug? We'll give everybody about a minute to think and then we'll be back with your answers. She ain't gonna get none of it. So I stop in the local bar, you know, people. I go to the bar. I read my coat. I call a bartender. So look, man, come down here. He got down there. So what you want? I want bourbon. Since I don't know when I've been drinking bourbon whiskey Scotch and gin Gonna get high, man I'm gonna get loose Need me a triple shot of that juice Gonna get drunk, don't you have no fear I want one bourbon, one scotch, one beer One bourbon, one scotch, one beer All right. All right. All right. I'm feeling good okay. about this. And I'm I'm not going to look because yeah. I, I have an yeah, angle. I have look. an angle. Yeah, I know. All right. I haven't looked. Here, so you take your wine. Okay. All right. Lay it so, on me. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Question number one. What is the chemical or the chemical responsible for marijuana's mind altering effects is referred to commonly as THC. What does THC stand for? It is <laughs> trihydrochemicals. That's my guess. That's my guess. That hash crop. <laughs> That's good too. What is it? Uh, tetrahydrocannabinol. Oh, so close. All right. Yours was actually not too bad. <laughs> 
<laughs> thank you. Thank you. Question number two. What song written by James Taylor in 1968 was in part about Taylor's addiction to heroin? Are we going to sing it? No. Um, no. <laughs> I mean, we can. It. It's, is it's it fire and fire rain. Fire and rain, yeah. 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 <laughs> I've seen fire and I've seen rain. rain. So good. Oh, it's a great classic. song. Oh, yeah. f- so good. Oh, makes me want to do heroin. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Amelia, don't listen to this. <laughs> yes. Uh, listen to this much later in your life. Question number three. What is the name of the little grape root eating nematode that devastated the European wine industry in the late 1800s? All right. Like, I feel like if I saw the word, I would know exactly what it meant. <laughs> but I don't have even a um, slightest bit clue. Give me the first letter. And then Laura and I look at each other and go, (laughs) (laughs) okay, what is it? I'll get, uh, oh, oh, I was gonna give you another second letter. Yeah, H. (laughs) Stay late. (laughs) 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 What were you gonna (laughs) This is a very bad hang. I know. (laughs) What uh, what was the hint you were gonna give us? That was it. Flaw. I don't know. She's reaching toward me like she's going to You're so throttle close. me. You're so close. <laughs> what is it? Phylloxera. Phylloxera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I don't recognize that word. I would not have helped you out. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, phylloxera. That's the one. Yeah, and so let's when like um, like the old vines mm-hmm. in America, they like grafted new new right. things onto it to like mm-hmm. help combat. The Americans, uh, either the Vitus uh, Lobruscas or the Vitus Rupestris, were resistant to the nematode, mm-hmm. and so they used the rootstock and grafted the vinifera uh, top part yeah. <laughs> stock to the um, root stock of the whatever anti phylloxera mm-hmm. thing it was, and it saved Europeans' uh, wine industry. Yeah, it did. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, question number four, true or false? In Indiana, it is illegal to sell chilled alcohol in a retail store. I bet it's I true. bet it's true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's crazy, right? Indiana explains that the goal of this regulatory scheme is to curb underage beer consumption sure. by limiting the sale of immediately consumable <laughs> cold beer. Instead, you have to drink warm beer. Because right, yeah. I know when I was like 16 and trying to get some beers, I was like, guys. We gotta we gotta chill this first. <laughs> <laughs> you knew. Yeah. yeah. I definitely remember in college going to a party and like the only the only alcohol that I had in my car was like a bottle of Kahlua that had been rolling around the trunk for like several months. And it was like August and we drank hot Kahlua oh! in the back of my car. Oh. <laughs> the, things, the things you do when you don't know anything yeah. about alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Aged, aged, hot, hot aged Kahlua. Kahlua. I'm surprised there wasn't any like cheese growing in there. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah. Question number six. What is the official alcohol of the United States? It's got to be beer. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's beer. Is it beer? And <gasps> bourbon is the official oh, alcohol Kentucky, of the United of States. Course. Wow. Uh, by an act of Congress. Uh, many people have attempted uh, to have that overturned in favor of beer uh, instead throughout the years, but um, 
While whiskey may be made everywhere, bourbon was declared America's native spirit. Okay. Uh, It must be produced in the United States. Uh, On May 4th in 1964, Congress adopted a resolution that made bourbon a distinctive product of the U.S. Um, And while bourbon can be produced anywhere in the U.S., 95% of bourbon is from Kentucky. Kentucky, that's right. Question number seven. What is the name of the psychedelic mushroom most associated with Christmas? All right. All right. Let's go. Associated with Christmas. Jingle yeah. bells. Silent night. <laughs> <laughs> Joy to the world. Um, Good King wants this last. Uh, silent. Oh, you King said Wences silent night. Um, uh, uh, Tan and bomb. We three kings. <laughs> <laughs> Most associated with Christmas. Santa Claus. Santa Claus. Santa Claus. No, it's the, I mentioned it earlier, the Amanita muscaria mushroom. Um, the story of Santa Claus is actually pretty odd when you think about it. Um, magic elves, flying reindeer, Santa's chimney. Uh, the whole thing had to do with the Amanita muscaria. Um, it was, again, coming out of Siberia. Um, the human consumption dates back to the 1600s. But essentially, you know, uh, the Amanita muscaria is the, is, no, it's, recognized by the fact that it's red with the white, white spots. Dots. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, yeah, um, yeah. the idea was that in these uh, places, um, the Amanita muscaria would grow underneath the pine tree, oh. right? The reindeer would, would eat them. And then they would fly. Well, what's really gross, <laughs> what's really gross. And this, this isn't like, this is like a long time ago, but what they would do was, um, they would drink the pee of the reindeer. Oh my God. <laughs> and that had psychoactive effects. Um, similarly, those mushrooms, they would, they would dry them above the, the fireplace, the, uh, oh. sort of similar to the stockings. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, and this, this is all like, Again, fairly primitive uh, people's traditions. Yeah, isn't that crazy? So crazy. Um, which of the following is true about PCP? PCP. Uh, it was developed as a cure for migraine headaches. It was developed as truth serum for the CIA. It was used in the 1950s as a blood pressure medication, or it was used in the 1950s as a surgical anesthetic. I'm going to say truth serum. I'm gonna say all of the above. No, that wasn't even an, that wasn't even one of the options. Could have been all of them. She's thinking outside the box. All right, fair. <laughs> <laughs> it, Anything's an option. On <laughs> uh, it was used in the 1950s as a surgical anesthetic. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Isn't PCP like make you crazy? Like crazy? crazy? Like angry and like. Sure. Because like, you hear about like somebody's thing was laced with PCP and, and then, then they went on like a not... rampage or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This could just all be like movies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, probably. I mean, honestly, I don't know that much about PCP, so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like the people Maybe. that eat people's faces. Yes. Well, those right. were bath salts. Yeah, those were bath salts. But, but not it, the kind that you actually take a bath with, no. which is very confusing. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> That's true. They do not. This stuff specify. is not making my bath bubble whatsoever. <laughs> Just sitting. But in I a... do feel hungry for human flesh. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that was debunked. He wasn't actually on bath salts. He was just a crazy person. I think, yeah, maybe he was just a crazy person. I'm sure bath salts don't help. No, I, I don't think 
Yeah. Um, question number nine. The United States makes up 5% of the world's population and consumes what percentage of the world's prescription drugs? I'm going to say like 75%. I'm going to go a little bit lower and say like 60 Ding, ding, ding. 75%. Yes. That was an absolute guess. Right. Nice. That was She's according to numbers. the 2014 uh, study from do something.org. Wow. Yeah. That's dark. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's tough. Yeah. Um, wow. Number 10. Dama Blanca is the street term for what illicit drug? That, that means white lady. Yeah. I'm going to say cocaine. Cocaine. Yeah. cocaine. <laughs> That's right. Very <laughs> really good. Wow. See, if like tenth grade health classes like this, <laughs> it would be a lot more fun. <laughs> thank you, Andres. Yes, that was awesome. Thank you. Um, do you have anything uh, to plug before we close out our episode? Yeah. Hey, I'm on a trivia podcast. <laughs> and uh, we're going to be doing trivia at the farm. It's actually game of thrones trivia at yeah. becker farms on may 24th nice we'll be hosting a game of thrones trivia and garbage plate night actually so if you like garbage plates <laughs> oh man and you like game of thrones something for everybody <laughs> and you like me talking at you yep then that's where it's at uh andres hosts uh trivia night how often do you guys do trivia uh, roughly once a month or oh, quarterly. Cool. It depends yeah, on at, when it seems like a good idea. At Becker Farms in Gasport, New York. So if you are in the area, feel free to head out there. It's a lot of fun. We'll, fun. Uh, we'll share a link. Yeah, we'll we'll share your uh, link when, when you do post it on the old Facebook. Cool. All right. Um, great. Thanks so much, Andres. Um, you can email us <laughs> at misinfopod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at misinfopod. Um, we have a Facebook page, misinformation colon a trivia podcast. And we have a website, triple dub dot misinfopod.com. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, pretty much. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe. Please and tell, tell a friend. A friend. Yeah. And uh, thanks, thank you again to Andres. Thank you, Andres. You're and, welcome. It uh, was exciting. I like it. <laughs> Good. I'm so glad. <laughs> um, and we will catch you next time. Bye. Bye.